We are in our second session of our Lifesaver series, Studies on the Ten Commandments. And this evening, we are looking at the second commandment, which we find in Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 to 6. Let me read it for you. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, when we look at this second commandment, it may seem to appear to be just a repeat of the first. Yes, there may be certain overlaps, but the second commandment goes further than the first one. Okay? The first commandment had restrictions pertaining to the object, that is God alone, while the second has restrictions regarding the means of worship. The second commandment prohibits worship by means of visual aids, more commonly known as idols. So the second one is moving more than the first. Now, when you look at these two commandments, you know, uh, we may say at times, look, uh, we believe in God. I don't worship any idols, so it doesn't really belong to me. This doesn't really bother me. I kept these two commandments. But remember, uh, Satan would uh, want us you know, to worship false gods. If he can tempt someone to worship a false god or bow down to an idol, he will definitely do it. That's why the Bible says the god of this world has blinded the eyes of people so they cannot see. So they are worshipping all these false gods. But he knows that many of us do not have a desire to worship a false god. Okay, and to bow before an idol will be very repulsive for us. So, what does he do? If he can't tempt someone away from worshipping the one true God, then he will switch his strategy and tempt them instead to worship the one true God in a false way. And he may even attempt, he may even tempt them to suppose that they can worship the one true God through many different images and likenesses of God himself, making them feel as if they are doing something very religious and very pious. So the great concern of the second commandment is not so much to prohibit you from the worshipping of the wrong God, but prohibit you from attempting to worship the right God in the wrong way. You may say definitely, oh, we need to be careful. It is not that we you know, always keep this second commandment. Worshipping the right God in the wrong way. Now, that's what the children of Israel were also doing, isn't it? They did not forsake their God. Now, they, if you notice, you know, when um, uh, Moses was you know, up on the mountain and these guys said, you know, uh, asked Aaron, and he said, I just threw out this gold and out came the calf. And this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Okay. Now, that's what they said. This is an image of the God who brought out. They didn't say we are worshipping this idol. 
They said this is the image of the God who brought us out of Egypt. And as time went by, they adopted the gods of the Canaanites. They did not forsake worship of Yahweh. They added these to them. So they thought they were pretty pious. You know? They were actually worshiping God. So this is why we need to be careful of how we can apply this particular commandment for today's world because this is very much applicable for today's world. So let's look at first of all what is prohibited in this commandment. That's a threefold prohibition. The first one is do not worship false gods. Do not worship false gods. Okay, there's only one God. You cannot worship any other false god. Now you may ask me, what is a false god? You know, a false god is a mental image of the God that you have created in your mind. Okay. There are a lot of people who have false images about the God whom they worship. For example, the story is told of a man who was talking to a lady and reading to her from the Bible about how God judges and punishes those who refuse to repent of their sin. And to this, the lady responded and said, my God would never do that. Okay. And the man replied, Madam, you are right. Your God will never do that. The problem is that your God doesn't exist except in your own mind. You have created a God in your own image according to your own liking. And now you have fallen down and worshipped him instead of the God of the Bible. That's what people do today, isn't it? Yes, they say I'm reading the Bible. But they pick and choose what parts they want. And they may say God is a God of love. God is not a God of anger. God is not a God of judgment. And they think they can do whatever they want to do. And still they feel they are worshipping God. Creating a mental image of a God that is not mentioned in the scriptures. Did you hear about the little girl in Sunday school who was very engrossed in a drawing that she was making? Her Sunday school teacher asked her what she was drawing and the little girl said that she was making a picture of God. To which the teacher told her, look here girl, no one knows what God looks like. And the little girl, even without looking up from her drawing, she said, once I finish in a minute, they will definitely know. That's what people do, isn't it? You know, they are all creating gods in their own image and how they see God, okay? For example, people will say, my God will never send anyone to hell. He loves everyone just as they are. Don't you find this philosophy in the world today? My God will not send anybody to hell. My God, you know, when it comes to ethical practices, you know, it's, oh, God loves everybody. We have to be very tolerant. The God of the Bible is very tolerant, you know? And they will take everything and anything into it and say, this is the God whom we worship. Now, it is dangerous to create your own image of God, physical or mental, or mental. So when you're thinking about the second commandment, remember, it's not just a physical idol or a graven image that you have made. But even the mental picture of God that you have created for yourself, which is contrary to what the Bible tells us, that is worshipping false gods. Because Jesus said in John chapter 4 and verse 24, God is a spirit and they who worship him must worship him 
in spirit and in truth is internally in our spirit in terms of when we have responded to god by faith the spirit of god comes and dwells inside of us our spirit then communes with god's spirit and that is the element of worship that is involved so it has to be with an internal spirit being quickened then only we can worship him and it has to be in truth we cannot worship a false image we cannot even worship a false doctrine so many false doctrines are coming around today isn't it all claiming that this is what god says in his word no all those are all false gods so do not worship false gods secondly the second prohibition is do not make and worship images of the true god make and worship images of the true god idolatry is twofold okay it is spiritual and internal residing in the affections and disposition of the soul but it is also more gross and external where you visibly adore worship anything apart from god okay both aspects are worshiping images okay so don't do this that is what the uh, second commandment prohibits a mental image or a physical image don't make it neither worship it so we need to be careful that we don't even make these images you know and how can we be careful by studying the word isn't it by studying the word so that we can get a true picture of who god really is okay otherwise we pick up understandings of who god is you know from what people tell us maybe or from our upbringing and we think hey this is who god is no we should not do that so don't make any mental images and worship the god that you create the hebrew word that is used there for graven image from comes from a root word which means to carve so strictly the word meant a sculptured object like taking a piece of wood and carving it okay but also later on it came to be known for anything that is graven or molten okay not just wood any other metal also was identified with this you know graving you know of this image okay now remember in the old testament times the children of israel had many symbols for worship they had the ark of the covenant they had the tabernacle they had the bronze serpent but these were not to be viewed as representing the nature of god or being in a centers where god's power existed but what do the children of israel do often times they misuse this isn't it even when you're thinking about the the brazen serpent later on the scripture tells us you know that they began to worship that and it became an idol even though it was given by god so that anybody who looks at that you know would another be healed of their plague the plague will stop you know and it was also a symbol of what god was going to do in the new testament of jesus dying on the cross for us so when we look up to the finished work of christ on the cross then we are saved but what did they do this symbol then became a point of worship so they made these images and uh, even though it was initially as a representative it became an idol worship that's why the scripture very clearly prohibits very specifically it says don't make an image of anything in the heaven above okay 
When you speak about the heavens, it can be the heavenly or the spiritual realm. So, worship of angels or demons or imaginary gods for the purpose of worship is definitely prohibited. Okay, definitely prohibited. So, this would also include people who worship saints, people who worship angels, and you know, people who worship in you know, a different, different you know, mythological gods. All these come under the category of anything that is in the heavens. If you notice in Revelation chapter 22, verses 8 and 9, the apostle John writing says, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing me these things. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets and of all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Worship God. Very clearly mentioned, don't worship angels or any heavenly beings. A lot of people today also in the last days and I have come into this category of the heavenly realms to say we saw this, we did this and, uh, and begin to worship that particular experience. Heavens above can also refer to the heavenly bodies, you know, like the sun or the moon or the stars. You know, and, and then you speak about you know, the creatures of the air, the birds, you know, the flying insects, you know, or it speaks about the earth you know, beneath, the animals that are there, or the waters below, the fish and the animals that live in water. The scripture is very, very clear. It says nothing of any created you know, being can be worshipped. Okay? Don't worship the created things. Worship the creator. Okay? Now a person may ask, you know, what is wrong with making an image of God for worship? It's just a representative. A lot of people will tell that. If you go in, in a, maybe in their homes or you talk to them and say, oh, we don't worship this idol. We worship actually the God who is behind that idol or who is in that idol. And now what's wrong with that? Okay? What is wrong is, is that it has to do with making up our own thoughts about God. Making up our own thoughts about God. Idolatry, remember, starts with the mind. It starts with the mind. As J.I. Packer has put it, metal images are the consequences of mental images. Metal images are the consequences of uh, mental images. What you form in your mind is soon going to come out in different, different aspects. Now, you may not actually make something to worship, but if you're worshiping that mental image itself, sooner or later, be careful about it. The word image, by the way, is related to the word imagination. Can we really imagine God totally? Isn't it? Not at all. As a result, from our imagination, we cannot make anything God. We cannot bring God to our level and say, hey, this is how God looks like. Like the little girl who said, you know, in a minute, you will all know how God looks like. No, no, we cannot draw that imagery. Why? Because God is far, far above us all. God created man in his image. But when we make an idol, we are attempting to create God in our own image or according to our own ideas. To create God in our own image or in our own ideas of who God really is. So that's the second prohibition. Third prohibition is 
do not make objects of worship out of aids okay do not make objects of worship out of aids to worship different aids to worship isn't it for example the scriptures the written word it's an aid to worship but can we make that as an object of worship a lot of people who worship the bible but don't read the bible and live by it or when you're thinking about worship songs okay we may say only if it has all the trappings of all the you know the sound and the music then only it is worship now those are aids to worship when you begin to worship the aids the objects of worship rather than worship god himself then you are on that third category where the bible says don't do this tim keller in his book counterfeit gods this is what he writes he writes a counterfeit god is anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it your life will feel hardly worth living should you lose it your life would feel hardly worth living so this is why this command makes it very clear that anything or any one you worship other than the lord is idolatry and it's a grave sin people may worship human beings people may worship your relatives relations your loved ones and uh, and that can turn out to be worship of idols okay let's move further why is idolatry prohibited why is idolatry prohibited thomas watson in his uh, book on the 10 commandments gives us three good reasons why we should not worship an image of god or mental number 1 it is impossible it is impossible in that you cannot represent god accurately by any image in isaiah 40 verse 25 it reads god says to whom will you compare me or who is my equal says the holy one to whom will you compare me when an artist is drawing either he looks at something and he draws or he looks at something that in his mind and then he imagines that and he draws and god says how can i be compared with anybody that you can sit and draw me or think that this is a representation of me so it is impossible that is why it's prohibited secondly it is absurd or irrational to worship an image of god rather than god himself look at isaiah's description of a man making and worshiping an idol in isaiah 44 verses 13 to 17 13 to 17 the carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker he roughs it out with chisels and marks it with his compasses he shapes it in the form of a man of man in all his glory that it may dwell in a shrine he cut down cedars or perhaps took a cypress or rope some of it he takes and warms himself he kindles a fire and bakes bread but he also fashions a god and worships it he makes an idol and bows down to it half of the wood he burns in the fire over it he prepares his meal he roasts his meat and eats his fill he also warms himself and says ah i am warm i see the fire from the rest he makes a god his idol he bows down to it and worships he prays to it and says save me you are my god look at it and look at isaiah what he says what is his evaluation of those who act so irrationally verses 18 to 20 he says they know nothing they understand nothing their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see and their minds closed so they cannot understand 
no one stops to think, no one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I used for fire, for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, Is not this thing in my right hand alive? He says, Hey, how can I do this? It's absurd to think of anybody making a physical image, for example, of wood. He uses half the wood of that or quarter of that, and for the other, he uses for his own purposes. And he says, This is the God I worship. How can it be? Or when you're making a mental image, it's also absurd to think that you can have only one portion of God to speak only about the God of love, not the God of justice and holiness, and think that you are actually worshipping a nice, loving God. No, it is absurd or irrational. The love and the holiness of God are two sides of the same coin. Thirdly, it is unlawful to worship an image of God. It is unlawful to worship an image of God. God commanded Moses to make a bronze serpent in the wilderness. If you read this in Numbers chapter 21, verses 6 to 9. There was nothing with the bronze serpent itself, isn't it? But later on, the people began to worship it. And you find this in 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 4. God had intended it to be a reminder of God's power over the serpents and as a foreshadow of Christ's death on the cross. For today, what happens for the cross, isn't it? Cross can also become a thing when people bow down to a cross or pray to a cross or pray to an image you know, of you know, a saint or of Mary or whatever, and they think they are worshiping God. All this is breaking the second commandment, which forbids the worship of any object. Now, fourthly, why should I obey the second commandment? Why should I obey the second commandment? You know, God gives us three reasons in this verse 5. First of all, the Bible tells us that God is a jealous God. God is a jealous God. He says, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God demands total loyalty from his people. Remember, we said that the Ten Commandments are for disciples. It's not that they are commandments which are used as a test to find out whether you are in or not, whether you are passed the test or not. No, Jesus, the Lord gave these commandments to his people, people who are in a covenant relationship. This is why he says you should obey the second commandment because God demands total loyalty from his people. Unfortunately, what happened is that the people of God provoked God to jealousy time and time again. We read this in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 16 and 17. It says, they made him jealous with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to demons which are not God, gods they are not known, gods that had recently appeared, gods your fathers did not fear. They provoked God to jealousy. Why? Because God demanded total loyalty. Now you may ask this question, isn't jealousy wrong? Okay. We often use jealousy from a negative angle, isn't it? Okay. 
But in that sense, jealousy can be wrong. But it's not always wrong. There's also a positive side of jealousy. It's a holy jealousy, a zeal for what is right. If God is God, then he must have the center place. He must have the center place. Okay. Now, that is what it means when it says, you know, I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Exodus chapter 34 and verse 14 says, Do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. The God whose name is jealous. Okay, We like to think about the other names of God, isn't it? Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha and all those names. But here it says God's name is jealous. He is a jealous God. Idolatry, when it is compared in the scriptures, it is compared to spiritual adultery. It comes in with the jealousy. When you're thinking about adultery, you're speaking about a marriage relationship, a covenant relationship, and somebody who breaks that relationship. Ezekiel chapter 23 and verse 37 says, they have committed adultery with their idols. They have committed adultery with their idols. A good husband will not stand idly by and watch his wife be unfaithful to him, right? A good husband will not do that, okay? In the same way, if you notice Isaiah 42 and verse 8, the Lord says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. That's what jealousy is about, right jealousy. God will not look the other way when we worship an image of God rather than God himself. That's holy jealousy. Adrian Rogers, you know, uh, a pastor, gives the following illustration of why it is wrong to worship an image of God. He writes, suppose a woman walks into a room and finds her husband embracing another woman. He sees his wife out of the corner of her eye and says, now wait a minute, honey. Don't get me wrong. Don't get any wrong ideas here. Let me tell you what I was doing. This woman is so beautiful. She reminded me of you. I was just really thinking of you when I was embracing her. Would any person buy that? Okay. Not at all, isn't it? No. Nobody will say, you know, hey, okay, fine, it's okay. You know, you're thinking of me, so it's okay. You can embrace that woman. No, no. God doesn't buy it either. So when we worship something else and says, God, don't get the wrong idea. This is you know, some mental picture you know, which is you know, okay. No, no. God says, no, you have to worship the one true God alone. So when you're thinking about you know, why we should obey the second commandment, remember God is a jealous God. So if we are worshiping wrong images of God in our lives, God is definitely going to be upset okay he is definitely going to be jealous secondly god punishes the children for the sins of the fathers scripture tells us that i'll visit the uh, nah, the sins and nah, uh, on the third and the fourth generation verse 5 tells us i the lord your god am a jealous god punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me okay Punishing the children, visiting, you know, in judgment. Okay, so this is why it's a strong warning to get our worship of God 
right. Why? Because the influence of false worship and idolatry, images or mental, remember, is passed down from generation to generation. So if a family is worshipping in a, in a images, in a physical images, next generation is also doing that, but also much more. If you're not worshipping the one true God and making different wrong images of this God and thinking that you're really worshipping God, then that's what is being communicated to the next generation. And that is what is called as nominal Christianity. They call themselves Christians only by name. They think they are worshipping God, but they're not really worshipping the one true God, mental images of another God that they have created. And that's why the next generation also follows in the same thing. And that is what is meant over here. So God in this verse is appealing to our love for the family. Arthur Pink said, it is a terrible thing to pass on to our children a false conception of God, either by precept or by example. Let me say that again. It is a terrible thing to pass on to our children a false conception of God from generation to generation instead of the truth of God's word. So this is why as parents, we must trade this second commandment seriously because we have a sacred obligation to teach our children accurately about God, what he has revealed about himself in his word. This is why as parents, we must study the scripture for ourselves if we can pass on this truth to the next generation. So when God talks about punishing the children for the sins of the fathers, he's not talking about children inheriting the guilt of their parents' sin, but the consequences of their sins. If they have grown up in a particular way, the next generation can also grow up, grow up thinking that same pattern, having the same world view. And if you notice, you know, the punishment that was given to the children of Israel was that they were taken into captivity primarily because of their idolatry. Now, look at also Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. This is one of the most frightening expression in scripture of the punishment of God for false worship. <laughs> if you notice, it reads from verse 18 to 25. For the wrath of God, punishment of God, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of God into an image made like corruptible man, birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So what did God do? What is the punishment? Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. So here it's very clear. 
punishment for not obeying the first commandment and the second commandment. An individual who said, look, I'm worshipping these idols. God said, nothing doing. Okay, That's what you want to do. Go ahead, do it. And God allowed them to do whatever they wanted to do. And that definitely led to judgment. Thirdly, third reason why we should obey the second commandment is that God shows love to a thousand generations. Remember, God never visits the iniquity of the fathers upon repenting and reforming children with total punishment. This verse does not mean, okay, now you know, you're going to pay for your father's sins or you have no chance of salvation or not at all. Any point of time, okay, consequences of sin is there. The guilt is not passed on. And when the next generation says, Lord, I'm sorry, I've been worshipping these images, you know, and I want to follow after you, what does the Lord do? The scripture tells us you know, that he rewards them, showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. God's punishment for those who hate him may stretch, stretch only to three or four generations, but his love for those who follow him extends to thousands of generations. Okay. Micah chapter 7 and verse 18 says, Who is a God like you, who pardons sins and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. God is slow to anger, but always ready to forgive. And this is the promise that God gives. It is not to say that, yes, you are now eternally lost, but once you understand, hey, I've broken this commandment. I should not have made any of these images, mental or physical. Lord, I'm sorry. Whatever generation it may be, you find the Lord's hand reaches out in love and snatches them from the punishment and then gives them salvation. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 7 tells us, The righteous man leads a blameless life, and blessed are his children after him. The righteous man leads a blameless life and blessed are his children after him. So as parents, we have such a great responsibility to make sure that our children and the coming generations would be individuals who follow after the one true God, not making any mental images of God in their minds. Arthur Pink again asked this question, are you storing up wrath for your children or prayers? Are you storing up punishment and consequence for your children? Or are you praying for them that they would turn to him? Here's a quotation from O. Hallisby, and this is what he writes. He says, see to it night and day that you pray for your children. Then you will leave them a great legacy of answers to prayer, which will follow them all the days of their life. Then you may calmly and with a good conscience depart from them even though you may not leave them a great deal of material wealth. That's what you and I as parents are called to do, to pray for our children, to pray for the next generation. And the question we must ask ourselves is, are you storing up punishment for your children's future? Or are you storing up blessing by your prayers for them and also by your own walk with God? Next, let's look at some modern examples of idolatry today some modern examples of idolatry today. The first one would be false images of God that we carry around in our minds. These are the mental 
images, mental images. Some people allow the image of their earthly father to, to interfere with the worship of their heavenly father. <coughs> if you have had a very tough father, if you have had a very you know, a father who was distant, who never communicated with you, if you had a father who was violent, and when you speak about you know, you know, God can be addressed as a father, the image that you have had of an earthly father, you try and think about God in the same way. That's you have transferred that image. And that is, again, is a false image of God. For people who had a tough upbringing, it's a little more difficult. But as they understand what God's word says about the Heavenly Father, then they can remove those false images and worship the one true God. Others will think about you know, God as you know, the man upstairs, or maybe an old grandfather, one who is very loving, pampers us, no matter whatever you do, as you know, a grandchild will say, no, no, don't do anything, don't punish that individual, you know, try and protect. That's the imagery that people have of God, which is again, uh, I wonder if you have read this book by J.B. Phillips, Your God is Too Small. And here he actually deals with all these, you know, images of God that we have made in our own mind. Some of them that he mentions are the resident policeman, one who is just waiting to punish you as soon as you have done something wrong. Or the parental hangover, you know, the image that you had of your parents, and you know, you transfer that. Or the grand old man, you know, one who is loving and caring, you know, make sure that you are protected as it were. Or the managing director, you know, these are all the names that he comes up with. Now, these are not the true images of God. These are false images or idols that we have set up in our own minds with our own imagination. And this is something that we need to be careful about. Stuart Briscoe writes, All our idolatry attempts to whittle God down, suit him to our way of doing things, fit him into a comfortable pattern that does not harm our own ideas, or challenge our way of thinking. By the time we have finished, we have denied God his power, muddied or defaced his image, and left ourselves with pitiful, empty lives that benefit neither him nor us. And this is something we must take seriously, especially people from a, a Christian background. You have said you have read the Bible, you have said you have read the Bible over and over again, but, you know, there are a lot of mental images of God, you know, baggages that you have carried in your mind over the years. But look at individuals who come from a non-Christian background, you know, when they read the word, it becomes life to them. They say, hey, this is what God says. This is what the God of the Bible is, you know, who he is. And they are trusting God, and you know, God is way up bigger than any of the ideas that they have thought about. It sort of uh, holds them up and say, hey, this is the God who I want to worship. So as individuals from a Christian background, we must ask ourselves, have we somewhere along the line picked up additional wrong images, baggages that we are still you know, think is the, you know, the biblical understanding, but it is not. Secondly, sexual impurity is another form of idolatry. The passage in Romans 1 said that you know, uh, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. They exchange the truth of God for a lie, especially in the area of human sexuality. 
in the world that we live in today, you know, when, when it comes to man and woman being the criteria for marriage, they say, no, man and man, woman and woman, okay? Why is that? Because they have begun to worship themselves. Why is that? Because they have begun to, you know, worship sensuality. And as a result, it has taken them far away from God. And especially in today's world, when all these things are happening, the church needs to take a stand. If the church becomes tolerant and say, oh, that's how they are, that's how they are created, we need to be tolerant, God loves everybody, you know, then what happens is we are allowing these wrong images of God, you know, into our thinking to worship. Thirdly, superstition is another form of idolatry. Superstition is another form of idolatry. Whenever we put our confidence in charms or bracelets or some other relic or some, maybe even some ritual instead of God, then we are substituting an image for the reality. Some people will say, okay, I'm going to you know, keep the Bible under my pillow and I'm going to kiss the Bible. Okay? These are all superstitious ideas that just by doing something external, you're going to be, you know, uh, have a blessing. Or some people today even will think about the good days and the bad days, or the good timings and the bad timings. Or even when it comes to marriages, they say the auspicious time, auspicious day. All this is all superstitions, which is a form of idolatry. Okay? Remember John 4.24 says, God is a spirit and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. An idol is not a spirit, neither is it a true representation of God? So it is not really allowed. What does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? Three things let me tell you. Number one, we must worship God for who he is. His attributes. What are his attributes? We worship God for his holiness. We worship God for his love. We worship God for his grace. We worship God for his power. We worship God for who he is. That is what genuine worship is. Secondly, we worship God according to his commands, how he tells us we must worship. Book of Acts gives us all the details of what the early church did. How did they worship God? And we follow those commands. And thirdly, we must definitely worship God only through Jesus. Because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's what Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15 says. Christ is the image of the invisible God. And Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says, He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. So if a person says, I worship God, but I don't worship Jesus, something is wrong somewhere, because Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. So, in closing, ask yourself this question. Are you worshipping the true God of the universe, or are you worshipping your own image of God. That's what the second commandment is all about. And remember, there's an infinite difference between the two. And the consequences are just as great. Let me close with three application questions you know, that you can uh, you know, evaluate your life on. Number one, idols represent what we put our hope in or what we put our worth in. Identify which of these are your idols? Number one, why are your children or money or no suffering? Is it your success? Why are money or job title or the degrees that you have accumulated? 
Is it your image? Or what comes by our physical appearance and what others think of us? Is it yourselves on how you use your time, how you want it, or you want to be in control, or you get to say how you live? Or it could be your work, you know, I'm worth something if I accomplish this at work, or I'm worthless, you know, without success at my job. What are some of the idols that you have? Mental images that you have created and you're beginning to worship happiness, worship success, worship image, you know, you know, of your worth, worship yourself, worship your work. All these are idols that can be there. Secondly, what kind of direction will your life lead if you set your hope in any of these idols? If these are your idols, which direction is your life going? And number three, how do we guard ourselves from these idols? Think about what you're hoping your idols will deliver. Maybe you're looking at success, happiness, accomplishments, feelings of worth, good image, avoidance of all bad things. You know. If this is what you're hoping for, okay, you know, how can you make sure that that is not going to lead you away from God, the true worship of God? What or who is the underlying idol of all these hopes? Is it yourself or is it some other person? Let's bow our heads and pray together.